0: Ready to get it on? You know it. I'm ready, man. Ready to get it on. Go! Go! We're on Express Elevator to hell. Going down. Two.
1: One. Mark. Groovy. (laughs) Boom! Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the film podcast with Brian Stumpf and Joe Friend. Here you'll find some bits and bobs of Hollywood ephemera as we take a deep dive on a specific topic. I am your host, Joe Friend, award winning screenwriter, musician, pedantic man about town, and general polymath, accompanied by my friend and cohort, a renowned independent film producer, writer, and director, Brian Stumpf. Brian Stumpf, you ready for today? You know what today is, Brian? You know what today is? It's Alien's Day, Brian. It's Alien's Day. This, this is quite possibly one of my favorite movies of all time. So I am genuinely, yes. genuinely excited, Brian. This movie, uh, I enjoy it for so many reasons, but the one reason I think it stuck with me so much is that I've been very trepidatious about it uh, since when I saw it as a child. First of all, Alien gave me incredible nightmares, and Aliens doubled down on the nightmare factor. To this day, I still have recurring nightmares uh, that feature the aliens but before we get started brian let's see if you are worthy of even talking about this film with me because it is one the best action movie ever made and two infinitely quotable so brian let's start with some <laughs> all right
0: hold up we mostly let our co-host speak mostly what the heck I'm, hello, I'm pod. this is brian <laughs> jeez we mostly prepare when we podcast mostly so yes uh game over man It's brian
1: Stump. thank you and i'm ready for my quiz thank you joe all right so brian needs to talk he doesn't realize that he's going to die halfway through this podcast like every other character in the film (laughs) all right brian some t-ball for you because because i know you're like a space marine you're you're sometimes mentally challenged here when was aliens released
0: tell me man I only work here I believe it was released in
1: 1987 nope
0: 1986 oh man Aliens was the sequel to this movie Alien that's a t-ball thank you very much released in released in 1979 1979
1: that is correct what are the aliens called Xenomorphs oh, yep Xenomorphs uh, XX-121 or would it take Internus, civis Raptus I think was their other name from what animal are the alien screams derived no, <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see here. Uh, well, by the way, I just want to say it's podcast audience, It's impressive that Joe can actually speak because it looks as though he's got a chest hugger on his face the whole time. Oh, wait, that's his actual face. Anyways, I believe the animal that was used, was it like a, was it like a baboon or a, it was a monkey of some sort and it was like sped up or slowed down? No,
1: it, it was baboon shrieks.
0: Just to keep it interesting, I do have a chest tiger crawling around in this room somewhere. So uh, just uh, keep me on my
1: toes and uh, let's continue. Nice, nice. Um, we are not interested in your sex life for the uh, remainder. Remainder of this podcast uh, and any <laughs> podcast henceforth the apc used in this movie in real life is actually a
0: apc what is that like a arc or the lbc on the L- ltd what's this what's the apc
1: yeah here i thought you liked this movie the <laughs> apc was almost a character in and of itself and it, the personnel character that uh, came with the dropship um, and featured prominently in almost the entire first half oh of the
0: movie. well who watches the first half of this movie i mean come on <laughs>
1: <laughs> the personnel carrier, the cool truck that they were driving around through walls.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. The black, uh, that's that, that machine, that vehicle. I thought he thought we have discussed in this episode or this uh, series, this, uh, we've discussed Terminator and we discussed how there are certain moments where Terminator feels as though it could be a little bit dated. And some of the, some of the things that you see in Terminator just kind of didn't date. Well, I think Cameron was aware of that. And I think when he did aliens, he was like, let me build a kind of." A vehicle that will stand the test of time. There's no way that there's any features in this vehicle. It's almost featureless in a way, but it's big, it's hulking, it's cool looking, and
1: it just doesn't look dated one bit. Thank you for ducking the trivia question. Um, <laughs> the APC is... Thereby diminishing your chances to actually continue this podcast. Whatever. The APC used in this movie in real life is actually a... Hummer? You're a Hummer. Uh, a blender? <laughs> it's a modified British Airways airplane tow truck purchased from Heathrow Airport. Okay. Uh- Let's give you an easy one. What is the alien slime made from? And once again, this is something near and dear to your sex life and was covered in a previous episode.
0: Would that be Mountain Dew? No, um, (laughs) I would say KY.
1: KY jelly. KY of sorts. That is correct. And the last question, Brian, since your feeble attempts to answer these have not gone very well for you. One of the alien eggs is exhibited in this esteemed location. Joe Friend's bedroom. Oh, wait,
0: no, that's that's no longer esteemed. I would say the Smithsonian. It
1: is the Smithsonian Institute. All right, so that is correct. I think you got... All of them right. You've gotten three. APC. You got three right. WTF with the APC. It's one of the coolest things in this video. In fact, the thing was so well designed that in one of the scenes where the APC is entering the colonist air factory, has to roll the railgun down off the back. Oh, yeah. So they designed that in the model. That was so cool, man. It was, especially as a kid. It's like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> this has this awesome cannon, And not only did they know that it has this awesome cannon on the roof, but sometimes it might need to get into tight spaces. So it just rolls down the back. Yeah. That was pretty cool. It was an interesting design. And in fact, that's part of the, one of the things about that makes this movie and something that was very awesome about the movie lore is the producer, Gail Ann Hurd, James Cameron. They were married at the time. She participated in Terminator, et cetera. You know, she had shown these uh, dailies to the Fox Network network's executives and they basically yelled at her for spending so much money on set designs and she just giggled because most Mm -hmm. of the stuff that she had shown them were either special effects or models etc they were not actual sets they were basically the cheap tricks but they looked so good that she felt more and more confident in this movie okay so we have aliens the sequel to alien ridley scott's film Now Ridley was a little taken aback that he didn't get to helm this movie but after seeing it he did not fault james cameron at all he thought he felt that cameron did such an uh, incredible job and you now, Ridley got another chance to participate in the series, mm-hmm. the Prometheus and Covenant franchises later on. So anyway, the film starts, we have James Cameron getting first billing, and then we have this excellent title. Like, what grips you about the title sequence upon rewatching this?
0: I thought it was cool. I'm a big fan of, like, symmetry, and so something that I noticed Cameron does, he also did this with the Abyss, but the middle letter uh-huh. uh, is on either side of the middle letter is uh, either, yeah, two, two other letters, so... Just a sweet little symmetry, and then something very uh, suggestive about the opening of the of the eye in the middle of Aliens. But uh, yeah,
1: that's, and then we uh,
0: head right in. Yeah, and it
1: just kind of fades in. You know, Cameron, he's like the total package. And you're right, he reuses a lot of these tricks from movie to movie. And there's several in here that have his stamp on them, which is the way it fades in, with the slowly crescendo of like shrieking sci- uh, sci-fi sounding strings. Mm-hmm. Such a callback original alien egg um, that caused so much terror uh Alien was released <laughs> in 1979, and then after the title, Brian, it starts in your favorite place, which is where outer space. Yes,
0: in this outer space, it's a lot more defined than the. I think the year before we saw Predator, but uh, and that had a similar opening where we we're looking at space first, and then a ship appears. But this one's kind of cooler because it's the space is not your usual outer space. It's got like defined galaxies, and it's just a, a, right away you're looking at an alien location.
1: It seemingly picks up after Alien because we, I, we. Immediately 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 identify that this is the ship Ripley, whom was ensconced in it at the end of Alien and was Mm -hmm. just out there drifting in space. And we don't know uh, just how much time expired till later Mm -hmm. on.
0: And then we get inside the uh, the actual ship. There's like sparkly dust, which I guess maybe uh, James Cameron is kind of like uh, the guy who does all the scientific research. Maybe that's something that would happen in space is kind of like a sparkly, maybe frozen dust. And and then uh, the whole opening of the capsule is the whole thing. But go ahead. You had something to
1: say? The sparkling dust is obviously frost. Frost. Uh, You live up there in the great Canadian North. Uh, You should be able to recognize that floating in the sky. Especially, didn't you ever work at McDonald's or something? Have you ever been in a walk-in freezer before? This is a whole new kind of sparkly dust. I think Cameron does
0: genius stuff at the beginning because as you pointed out, this is a ship we recognize. We get the sense that something has found that ship. The computers light up inside. Something has found this ship. We don't know what, but then we get this cool futuristic welder torch thing that cuts a hole right in the metal. It's someone who didn't really have have like a key or a code. Something is breaking in, not being familiar with the ship. A machine comes in. Yeah. Once the door comes down, we're waiting for something to come in and something comes in and looks like, is it an alien? I mean, it looks like an alien head, but actually it's just a machine that's floating in as a scanner. So that was pretty tricky.
1: The thing to note here in this scene is that there's no evidence of what is on the other side of this machine. So you're left again, once again, at this state of suspense. There's a sleeping Ripley in there. She's been through a lot. We don't need a reminder of this because the film Alien was a worldwide blockbuster so it's a hard act to follow uh, and then here you have this beginning where it's just continues the suspense from the last movie so there's an immediate connection uh, with the world that we're in it ultimately turns out that it's a salvage crew that they find this ship thank god it's people and you know w- once you get to this whole film the suspense here is based on the sound design itself because even with that laser scanner scene when the little beam passes in front of the camera the pitch of the beam changes like womp womp on like each pass of the camera so the audience is immediately drawn into the scene you're left thinking that that's the noise it makes when it detects life the audience is put in Ripley's position at that moment excellent cinematography and genius work because they know later on they have to add these sound effects to just have that set up to begin with just to have this comprehensive picture of the totality of the movie we're
0: still not sure we're not we're still guessing who actually comes in I mean they look like humans but they're wearing like World War II gas masks who are these people what year could this possibly be happening Also, there's a cute little kitty in there. Let's not forget
1: that. Oh, Jonesy. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that adorable? Yeah, yeah. And then we get a look at where she's going to be based, which is the cool space habitat called the Gateway. And she doesn't even get to Earth. Nope, she doesn't get to Earth. (laughs) She doesn't get to see her daughter, whom she promised to see. And we find out that how many years have expired. How many uh, years, Joe? Courtesy of Burke, 57. And so her daughter is now 66 years old according to the canon. And that's crazy. And then we find <laughs> out what else about Sigourney at this time.
0: What else do we find out about her? She doesn't want to go back to work. <laughs> she's a flight officer. I, I might be jumping ahead. Of. She's interrogated by the corporate drones. And they're trying to figure out what happened and how she's responsible. And, of course, they're trying to look at the bottom of the dollar. They're like, wow, it's an expensive machine. You just blew up in space. What are you referring to as to what happens to her? Once
1: again, building on the suspense of the screenwriting and we find out that she is infected with an alien no yes then she wakes up and it's it's just a dream it's all just a dream oh man oh yeah it goes from a pristine medical environment of her dream sequence to the very bleak reality that she's facing where she wakes up and she basically punches up Birch mm-hmm. on the video console and says, I've slept enough. <laughs> and so now she's going to get back to the real world.
0: Yeah, that's some economic uh, screenwriting because it's technically a dream but also there's a lot of exposition within that dream. So he's getting all of his things out on the table uh, in a very kind of unique way and also allowing for a nightmarish moment in which we're like wondering if is actually infected. So yeah, that is, uh, economic screenwriting from Cameron. Well done. It's a
1: harbinger uh, for what the rest of the movie is going to be
0: like. Well, speaking of harbingers, yeah. I mean, and what he does well and what he really kind of excelled in after Terminator is strong female characters. I mean, we get a sense of that with Sarah Connor, but with this one, kind of really gonna go full bore, full Cameron. He has a strong female warrior main character and there's a lot of maternal concepts working out. So yeah, so
1: James Cameron doubled down on bringing Sigourney Weaver back for this. In fact, he had to do a lot of 4D chess to make sure he got it done. One, he had to convince the studios to up Sigourney Weaver's salary from the paltry $35,000 from Alien to the $1 million fee in Aliens seven years later. Two, he had to convince Sigourney to be back in this movie. She didn't want anything to do with the series at the moment. Cameron went and called another agent friend of his whom you know she was connected to her agent through and basically said, oh yeah, we completely rewrote her out of this sequel and it's way better now. And so that back channeling happened and it was a bluff and it worked. So James Cameron did a lot to make sure that he had her back. It would also make sure that yes, it had a strong strong female lead, which was a a cartwheel from the genre itself. It was just typically homunculin men doing manly shit.
0: Can we just take a minute, just a moment to talk about how Sigourney had three requests to Cameron if she wanted to be in this movie. Some of them are actually pretty outlandish. So basically there's a request that she doesn't carry a gun. She wants Ripley to die. But the third request is that she wants to, she wants Ripley to make love to an alien. (laughs) Those are her three requests. Cameron's able to get rid of the whole like Ripley not carrying a gun after he takes Sigourney to a shooting range and she was like okay this uh, maybe uh, has some dramatic kick to it so the other things is Ripley dying and Ripley making love to an alien which does not occur spoiler alert, does not occur in Alien but perhaps do occur in the subsequent sequel. They
1: do that does occur in Alien Resurrection which was a head scratching <laughs> piece of filmography Indeed. no sorry what was the Aliens 3 called? Uh, alien 3 was just The Alien 3. Okay, that one. That was some goofy shit. Resurrection was kind of like campy fun. They got back to a hybrid aliens slash Starship Troopers type of approach to that movie. That was kind of weird but also entertaining. But anyway, we're back in the boardroom with Sigourney Weaver. She yells at them. She blew the alien out of the airlock. As a younger man, I really hated these corporate folks. I was like, how could they be doing this? Blah, blah, blah. Before I understand things like budgeting, etc. And (laughs) basically the file status is case closed. Now you've become the corporate drone. Is that what you're saying? I just never understood their position, I guess, until you're put in the position of what do the other entities care about? It's like everything, budget be damned, yeah. this is not an uh, important or kill all the animals, or not a, not a potentially interesting scientific discovery, and definitely not a waste of corporate funds. So Weaver's already sided with Sigourney Weaver, the, human, the humanity of
0: yeah, it. Yeah, but this is another uh, perennial Cameron theme that we see in lots of movie. yes. his movies throughout his career, is the dichotomy of just young dreamer, a young person that's trying to get the shit done uh, and basically passionate and coming into confrontation with the corporate boardroom, the corporate drone I mean she's very emotional talking about her experience in alien and they're like disgusted by her high emotional and the main guy in charge you don't actually see him at first the faceless soulless guy he describes how humans being killed are part of the collateral damage when you're looking for something that might be like unobtainium or trying to establish a colony a shake and bake colony or whatever he carries that through all the way to to, definitely to Avatar. Camera to the extreme.
1: Starts in Aliens. Or maybe it started in Piranha 2, but I haven't seen that movie most recent enough <laughs> to make the determination. But it starts in Aliens. It happens definitely in the abyss because you have the the soulless corporation up there caring more about the rig than the, uh, the other things that are happening to the people on the rig underneath the ocean. And then you're correct. An Avatar, it's all about the unobtainium, which is the only thing I would change about the movie is that stupid name they gave to that. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Mineral that they were mining. Oh, it's unobtainium. (laughs) Come on, guys. Make it something more interesting. That's a little too on the nose. Okay. (laughs) so Ripley goes back she leaves the boardroom and you see her smoking a cigarette very long ash they don't film cigarettes much anymore but then both Burke and we are introduced to Gorman they show up at Ripley's place and I never noticed this before when I was younger but Ripley lives in a space ghetto (laughs) and Gorman and Burke are walking down the hallway to Ripley's place it's like strewn with trash and it's just dismal the lights are flickering she like lives in the shitty part of the space station that sucks yeah I gotta point that out
0: that uh, I noticed that as well and uh, by the way about this cigarette. Um, Yeah, people don't smoke anymore, but there's two things that actually, I'm a big fan of setup and payoff, and there's a couple things that are significant about her having a cigarette. Uh, First of all, it's been going for a long time. It's long ash, which we realize, it's actually been a while since the corporate uh, boardroom. She's actually found a job, and she's gotten good at it. Time passes. At some point later on, she will be needing a cigarette lighter. In my notes, I was like, well, how the heck did she get this cigarette lighter? Well, it was established later on. She didn't smoke that much
1: throughout the movie, but it's... set up up. <laughs> and paid off. Yeah. Because she needs a cigarette lighter, she needs front-loader skills, yep. and she needs a spear gun. <laughs> and the spear gun's a carryover from the Alien movie, yeah. where she used it to jam the door open of the shuttlecraft, and it's still there, miraculously, when she needs it. Uh, so all that stuff is its very careful world-building, yeah. and it, it all pays off.
0: Masterful setup and pay off. But yeah, getting back to her being, her, being in her uh, apartment.
1: Yeah, so something jumped out at me, and one of the characters said it, I forget if it was Burke or Gorman, but he says, these colonial marines are real tough hombres, and so we had a, a <laughs> failed TV host turned president say stuff like that. And it made me curious that if in his failing <laughs> cognition, this guy that was our president just picked up these lines from movies that he liked when he was younger. I think
0: he says bad ombre, but either way. Colonial Marines are very tough ombre. So no means no. But yeah, Burke. Let's talk about Burke for a second because that's an yeah, a, a interesting
1: actor in that role. He carries it through the entire film. <laughs> right up through a deleted scene that only existed as lore but has now been recovered where Burke is cocooned and as Ripley is going to save Newt she passes a cocoon Burke who informs her that he has been impregnated and she just hands him a grenade keeps walking nice yeah <laughs> that was cut out of the final film in special edition but the scene exists
0: shitbag I mean uh, I think the uh, viewing audience is playing bingo and they were hoping you were going to say shit but either way uh, Burke stands out as I at first I thought he was was actually sympathetic. It's good casting. Paul Reiser, he kind of has a meek mild, it's kind of subtle when he says things. I, I noticed on subsequent viewings after my first viewing that he. It's the, the hints are there. I mean, he kind of eggs her a little bit at the beginning by saying, this, you know, he kind of eggs her about how she's like got this blue collar gig, gig even though she was a flight officer. He says, eh, you know, it's the only thing he could do.
1: He got to kind of reprise his role in Stranger Things. He plays an older version of a younger Burke, oh, yeah. Paul Reiser that is, uh, which was interesting to see. You know, that movie was basically sorry, the Stranger Things series was basically an homage to all things 80s Misto action.
0: Yeah, definitely. Before we leave her scene, I mean, another subtle thing that Burke does is that, uh, you know, not only does he egg her about her blue-coward gig, but if you notice, he actually helps himself to her coffee. I mean, she offers coffee and
1: uh, I think Gorman,
0: and and he kind of helps himself to the coffee and then he doesn't really drink it, so subtle. it's a subtle kind of, like, dickish move.
1: Well, yeah, because, like, you're just politely taking the coffee but you're also in the space ghetto in a crappy apartment, which basically (laughs) your Repurposed right. British Airways bathroom. You're just rubbing her face it to be like, hey, listen, this is, I'm offering you a chance. In fact, he doesn't go about it obliquely. He says it directly. So we have Ripley, mm-hmm. you know, who, who has these recurring nightmares and she just needs to face her demons and she knows this. Yeah. And that's yeah. the, that's the inciting incident right there of the movie. But since I mentioned a buzzword like inciting incident, so all the screenwriters out there, ears perked up, <laughs> uh, why don't you give me an off the cuff oh, log shit. line for aliens. All of a sudden, I'll... Oh, it's, it's easy. I could I could do yours for you. Uh, Jesus, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. I would say yeah it's got
0: Jesus let me, let me let's be serious about this basically a woman experiencing PTSD from a previous experience with aliens has to help marine clean out a colony
1: and uh, mayhem ensues I honestly think that's about the best we can do yeah because it's, <laughs> it is just that it's you know a, t- a traumatized space merchant marine has to go confront something horrible you know I, I, I struggle with what the logline for well, this movie what's interesting is she's or... never a
0: marine she's a she was I mean what was the alien I mean they, I think they were just like minors.
1: When I say merchant marine, I mean in the, the shipping sense. Uh, she was basically a, consider a merchant marine is not a military marine. They're just, you know, drive container ship. That was her that was her role on yeah. the Nostromo. I, first one?
0: Cool. The name the I think it's Nostromo. Narcissus is the uh you, the god that you worship. In this movie in uh in aliens, this is another moment where it's, we get a little Cameron kind of this is another key concept that we see in a lot of camera movies where it's someone who has a peripheral role. Like Bert asks Ripley to go to uh, the colony. I believe it's LV4. Four two six. He asked her, he asked her just to go there as an advisor and nothing more. Same thing with Sarah Connor. I mean, she was just a waitress, but then she had to evolve into becoming the, the leader of uh, a revolution. And we see that in other movies. Oh, uh, Rambo 2. I mean, there's not a character in Rambo 2, but also he wrote, uh, Cameron wrote that uh, screenplay with Stallone, um, which is an interesting co-writing gig, I, I, would, I would imagine. Rambo in Rambo 2 actually was asked to just take pictures. And that was his mission, was just to take pictures. So so it's interesting. All these characters have to evolve into being front and center in this battle.
1: Yeah. And just to go back real quick, the Nostromo was the main vehicle in Alien, uh, and the Narcissus was the uh, shuttle that she escaped on at the end. So oh. Both in the movie Alien.
0: Look at the big brain on Joe. Yep. Thank you. All right. So
1: we're going to wipe them out, right? None of this studying bullshit. We're just going to wipe them out. Yes, we are. Just we tell get to me with one the space thing, marines.
0: Brooke, you're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out.
1: And then we that's cut the to client. them yeah, well, in cryo sleep. Interesting about the cryo sleep is that there was only six pods because they were very expensive to build as sets, so they used a bunch of mirrors to make it look like there was a room full of these cryo sleep pods. But we get what is possibly one of the best introduction to a cast of characters. Basically, they're waking up in their underwear, and nobody likes to be woken up uh, and filmed immediately, and no one likes to wander around strangers in their underwear. But that's their first meeting with each other. So we meet Hudson, cool tattoo, excellent character. We meet Drake. You know who's Drake? You know, according to Drake, him and. Vasquez, the, uh, his female counterpart, basically spent a tough childhood in a slum and they were drafted into the Marines from prison. We meet Hicks. We notice the first thing about Hicks is he cares about his hair. And then we meet Aper. Apone. What are you waiting for, sweethearts? Breakfast in bed? So we I get an introduction. A-pone, this- oh, Apone's got the best lines.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, sweethearts, what are you waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Maybe meals and banquets. Every paycheck of fortune, every formation of parade. I love the call. Oh, man, uh, floors. I
1: know callbacks to the material you that we've written but for in you? The Robot yes, sir. War, I have I like a couple lines from Alien in Robot War, and and then in some other screenplays that I wrote. There's some homage lines that I've used uh, from this movie specifically because it's infinitely quotable. In fact, I quote it quite often in my my day to day. Like for instance, Brian, have you ever been mistaken for a man? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I won't answer that, dignify that with an answer. But the Apone has the awesomest first moment as a character. It's very futuristic. And then once those pods open up, the first thing he does is what? Get, I guess he wants to cryo sleep with a cigar in his hand because he pops he it her in his blinks his eyes right and pops a cigar and, into uh, his mouth. <laughs> Just how we should all wake up. We get kind of camaraderie. We get that sense right away, the way they talk to each other. And, you know, they're, they're sizing up Ripley. They're thinking she's a snowflake. They're thinking, well, how's this, go, how's this person going to be able to help us? Which is ironic. Cause, spoiler alert, most of the Marines aren't able to make it. However, she has the tenacity and experience to prevail.
1: She's got the go get him. We go from the cryosleep to chow table and we get the bishop knife scene. Apparently that scene mm-hmm. was not in the script and Bill Paxton was unaware that they were going to use his hand. But it ends with like the simplest line: "Enjoy your meal." And then we get our first <laughs> scene where uh, Ripley figures out that Bishop is an android. Uh, she slaps the tray away from him, and then we get another funny line. Guess, guess she, she didn't like the cornbread. I noticed
0: that too, though. I mean, uh, if you, as a screenwriter you should have noticed that for this whole scene, that uh, bad cornbread was the bookend. It starts off with one of the one of the Marines grumbling about the cornbread, frost. and then it, it ends frost. with it ends okay, and then uh, yeah, ends with uh, well, I guess she didn't like the cornbread either. So nice writing there. Black was on that scene, but bookended nicely.
1: It was, it was excellent writing, and we're actually coming to the point that I was trying to make in the beginning. Just to, just to cover a few more bases, we go from there to the hangar scene. We get to look at the dropship. We hear about the parasite ghost story that Ripley tells to everybody and Vasquez, just tell me where they are so I can kill it. Then we get the weapons loading scene. We see that Ripley has skills that she learned in between when she was awoken from cryo sleep after 57 years and when she was put on this ship mm-hmm. now. Uh, she can operate the walking loader. The loader. We see all the cool space marine Five, weapons, and we see the APV, which is a vehicle better than the Batmobile, (laughs) and then we get to the dropships. Release sequencer. On my mark.
0: Five. We're on express elevator to hell. Going down. Two. One. Mark. (laughs) Switch to DCS ranging.
1: Two four oh, nominal to profile.
0: We're in the pipe. Five by five
1: things, that these guys are going in to whoop ass, that the xenomorph from Alien is woefully outnumbered, and that the superior firepower is going to deal with the situation handily. No problem. So we're left with a little bit of confidence, but we're also in that area of James Cameron filmmaking. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. uh, The ellipses there. But we're also in that area of James Cameron filmmaking where it's an action movie where the action does not start until a full halfway through the movie. You know, we're just treated to a bunch of cool suspense, and then exposition, and then world building, and not a lick of action until halfway through the movie You know, we get to the drop chip scene we learn that gorman is not battle-hardened he's only done 38 simulated drops
0: how many drops is this for you lieutenant 38 simulated how many combat drops we
1: contrast that to hicks uh, who is battle-hardened who's so sleeping through the whole thing and then we get to the one. complex and we know it's <clears> gonna <throat> going be miserable muddy it's rainy <laughs> gross. Bleak. It's dark. Yeah, it's bleak. It's like, man, I would not want to be a space colonist. These are some hardy people, kind of like your stock a few generations before because <laughs> you've actually gone quite soft up there in the great Canadian north. We get to lots of stuff. We get to some good point of view shots. We get some good Dutch angles in there. We get some good cowboy shots. Just great narrative camera work that fills a lot of time and space very interestingly.
0: Yeah, a lot of things that have been brewing but aren't revealed until at least the midpoint, which is great. A lot of people argue whether Aliens is an action movie or a horror movie and when they get to the LV 426, it is kind of spooky scary and lots of slimy stuff. And then there is a pretty sweet jump scare when we get the reveal of one of the primary characters of the whole movie, and that would be Rebecca Newt
1: Jordan. Oh yeah. Rebecca Newt Jordan. Her illustrious film career checking the IMDB is she went off and became mostly. A... Nothing. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> she went off and became a school teacher. Uh, she that was her first and last role. And good for her. Hey, she figured out that she didn't like acting, maybe or being covered in dirt and KY Jelly and push down a slide over and over again. But hey, I might have had a different opinion on that activity. Uh, but getting back to the characters, they get to the planet and Hudson run a bypass.
0: Hudson, run a bypass. What we know about
1: Hudson is like suddenly he's a computer whiz. I, I just thought that was interesting. To me, as the comic relief covered bill paxton before because he's one of the actors that was lucky enough to be killed by the terminator by a predator and by an alien yeah he's got the trifecta him and lance hendrickson both have the trifecta but bill <laughs> paxton has he usually just steals the movie in whatever scene he's in he started doing that with uh, what was my favorite movie weird science, weird science. <laughs> so when he was in weird sciences is, is it chet chet was chet's last name chet, chet donnelly chet donnelly <laughs> he just like that scene where he, like, takes the egg and throws it up against the ceiling and it lands in the pan, <laughs> just to be able to do that. And we lost Bill Paxton yeah. um in 2017, but he was by far one of my favorite uh Yeah, actors. Hudson's great. I don't know if you can score, but
0: we just got our asses kicked. Yeah, he's got the best lines, lots yeah. of improv ad-libbing. He's a crowd favorite, he, and it was funny because he thought he was going to be disliked by the audience, and so he thought when he was getting spoiler or when he um, possibly gets killed that people were going to be looking forward to it, but it's actually one of the more bittersweet moment. It's like 20 years on. But uh, at this point in the movie, we get the sense that this is a very maternal, matriarchal movie. Aliens could also be known as The Adventures of Eleanor and Rebecca.
1: I think you're correct. This is Sigourney Weaver. This is a Ripley movie. She is the only character. All of the other characters are character actors playing off of her. Even Newt. Newt's alternately resourceful and useless. But unique. It's just like a coin flip. I don't know how she can go from being resourceful to useless from scene to scene, other than to say that they just needed to make Newt that. Way in order for Ripley to be able to continue her arc. Because uh, if you look at the one scene where it's like she informs them where they should be and where they shouldn't be, yeah. but then later on in the movie, she just happens to fall down a vent for whatever reason. And then she's like, she could easily have hung on. So it's just like, I think it was a coin flip. <laughs> Uh, for her. Yeah, New actually
0: comes up to the fore. I mean, she's at first, she's um, just this lost child that uh, is small enough, basically, to get away from the aliens. She was actually able to get through vent where the aliens couldn't get her. By the way, Sweet uh, Maternal, establishing uh, Ripley, the, the relationship between Ripley and New, I mean, she's basically a surrogate daughter. New is. Economic like, screenwriters listen close, because all she does is she offers hot chocolate, then she towels off her face a little bit, wiping away a little dirt, and she's like, oh no, now we got... Now I have to clean your face. And that's it. And now they are basically mother and daughter throughout the rest of the film. Newt is very dependent on uh, Ripley. However, later on, uh, Ripley is actually dependent on Newt. She knows the way around the the facility and she actually can lead uh, Ripley and the Marines on ways to escape. Yeah,
1: I agree. A couple other things happen in these scenes before we get to the action. Once again, great setup, great suspense. And is this an action movie? To me, it's a suspense movie. If you listen to the sound design once again, you know, when they're outside the base, you hear like the howling of the wind and the rain. And then once they get inside, the sound design changes. Mm -hmm. You completely hear the muted wind noise. And you can hear water draining and dripping throughout the complex from leaks caused by the storm outside. So you know that this is still ongoing. So they keep you in the moment. And then you get to the motion tractors, whose basic pulse, is that of a human heartbeat. So immediately your body starts to synchronize to what's going on around you. And then they uncover the scene where they try to shoot Newt and they secure the base. <laughs> Hudson's like, quit screwing around when they try to scare him with the face hugger. <laughs> and it's just everything to me just builds up to this master of suspense.
0: I just want to point out a badass moment with Newt where uh, Ellen says to Newt, hey, you're going to be okay. You're safe. You're with soldiers. And Newt's like, nah, no thank you. It won't make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, badass Newt. Yeah, she knows it. One other very common Cameron Trait is the switching of evil and good characters, whether the character is going to be evil in one movie or uh, good in the next movie. And he does that with Bishop, because uh, with Alien, the android was actually one of the primary antagonists, along with, of course, the alien. But in this movie, you're led to believe maybe this android will be, uh, again, evil. However, he does the Terminator 2 kind of switch and bishop is actually one of the heroes of the movie
1: i like that for his goodly works he gets bagged up at the end uh, and then gets to die in the beginning of the next one uh so good for him yeah yeah i and that's actually i was a little taken aback by the beginning of the third alien for that reason oh yeah it's like they killed the, Hicks. Yeah. They, they killed newt it's horrible yeah. bishop got shredded it's, and it's just, and we don't know what's happening with ripley and it's like guys you really just fucked that up for us uh I'm not happy yeah, yeah usually
0: controversial not liked yeah
1: uh so james Horner made the soundtrack And to be quite honest, all of the sound designers uh, from the movie, there's quite numerous, too many to list. Uh, Just by a a quick glance, there's actually like 20 of them, Um, but there's no overarching uh, sound designer. So maybe, maybe it was a collaborative effort. So we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, (laughs) It just looks great. So the area is secured, you know, however Ripley looks like basically like meth head level uh, freaked out. Um, Mm -hmm. Then they find Newt, as we were talking about. And something interesting happens to Michael Bean because it's something that happens to his character in a lot of movies. He gets bit. Oh, he yeah. seems he gets to be like a, a Michael Bean. Bit on the here. hand. Yeah, he gets bit on the hand. With cameras. He camera, gets bit yeah. Terminator. I'm pretty sure he gets bit in Tombstone, uh, which I would have to go back and double check. <laughs> but he just gets bit. So, interesting. Moving along.
0: Yeah, we get into the big battle, which is awesome because I love how the characters shift at this point in so many different ways. Where Gorman is supposed to be leading the troops. He's clearly in that we We're rooting for him. They start going into the colony. They get into this area where it's like secreted resin. So, it's tricky because the aliens could be there hiding in plain sight. They've kind of modified the whole environment and the surroundings, So they're walking through and everything. And it's cool because Gorman's doing his best and he's got all these monitors that show each of the characters. And we, we actually see when characters die because their monitor goes to static.
1: And then- We get that, but first we get a really cool Hudson line. What is all this stuff? It's like, you tell me, man, tell I only really work I'll- here. <laughs> so you get in the hive and it's under the primary heat exchanger. So they come to rather right. tough choice that they have to make in order to pursue these colonists in a potentially hostile area, they're not allowed to use their weapons. That's nuts. And then we have our first death, which is Frost. And how does Frost die?
0: Doesn't he get scooped up by uh, an alien dropping from, like, Spider-Man from the ceiling or something?
1: I think the person gets scooped up. I think it's, like, Wierzbowski or somebody. Wierzbowski! Frost gets flamethrowered by whomever does get scooped up. Uh, He's the first death. He falls down through the stairwell, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's almost fate (laughs) that Frost gets killed by a flamethrower. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> His cartridges go off that he collected and start killing other people, and that's when all the aliens start to wake up. So when you torch their babies, they tend to get a little pissed off, and they're they're waking up is scary. I know. It's dark. That's a
0: good point. Uh, the aliens have been there all along, but it's only when, uh, again, getting back to the whole maternal point. But the whole colony is set up like the alien colony is set up just like uh, a bee colony, where there we learn that there is a queen yeah. and all these probably worker bees are probably all who knows, but they're probably all female, and they only get involved when, uh, the babies, uh, when, when someone actually tortures the baby and that's when they say, Hey, it's, you know, we're, we're not here to, we're here to procreate. We're not here to like kill people, but if you're going to get in the way of that, then let's just get to business so that's pretty sweet and then getting back to like
1: well it's conservation of energy like a beehive will go dormant if there's not enough food sources Uh, so in this case it just makes sense that they would be dormant until you know there's a little more action but just their waking up is scary it's all dark and you just see these little vacuum tube like tendrils like floating around and then the shit hits the fan this is almost precisely halfway through the movie Uh, and this movie does wonderful things with the timing because when the drop shit lands and Apone says we have 10 seconds till boots hit the ground literally 10 seconds of movie time expires and then boots at the ground. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, when Ripley's timer starts at 15 minutes, in every edition of the movie, it's actually 15 minutes until the conclusion. Cameron paid a lot of attention to those timing things in his movie making. So then we get a couple of deaths. We get poor Frost, poor Rizbowski, poor Crow. Then we get Let's Rock uh, and then Apone gets it. So Apone's no more. And then Gorman becomes useless uh, because yeah. as you indicated, you know, we're pulling for him, but he's he's not a wartime consigliere, I guess. <laughs> Ripley
0: comes out of nowhere and bla- down some battle tactics. She has to point out the primary heat exchangers and everything. She's just like, do this,
1: dude. What the hell? the hell? We can't fight this battle if it's gonna be like this. And he's like, you know, he just go he just freezes. So she takes the bull by the horns and she goes and drives the APC through several walls. Badass moment. Yeah. And then we have uh Hicks going,
0: Drake, we are leaving. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, and Drake's bringing up the rear with his awesome gun. Then Drake gets it because I think Vasquez shotguns one of the aliens coming up to him, and it sprays him with acid, and, and he goes down. And then they have to shut the door to the APC. <laughs> we get Ripley thinking, "What the fuck did she sign up for this?" For? <laughs> they have a decision to make. They're stuck outside the cooling off APC. They're definitely not going back into the into the air processors. And so they call their uh their dropship. Mm-hmm. Faro and Spunkmeyer uh, are Spunkmeyer. in the dropship. We got Faro. Hey Spunkmeyer, basically get your ass in here after this. <laughs> I say we take off and nuke the entire thing from orbit Farrah I thought Farrah was a really cool character she's just this cool hotshot dropship ace Yeah, she's just basically not fucking around like Meyer, get your ass in here their only mistake was leaving the door open while they were chilling out I don't know why they would do that uh, but that's fine <laughs> So Spunkmeyer gets it, and then Faro gets it. You know, she tries to go down shooting, which is pretty cool. She goes down like a boss.
0: Uh, she she doesn't uh, just like the alien finds its way up to the cockpit. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, just knew how to do that, but uh, yeah. Just go so forward. She goes down like a boss, and then uh, they get that big explosion. And well, I just want to point out just one small little grace note. Ding.
1: Grace knows oh, oh.
0: so sweet little grace note is it, you see Ripley being maternal throughout this whole thing. So she drives the APC like a boss. Before that, she makes sure that she buckles in or puts a roller coaster but bra- brace down for Newt and then she drives. So yeah. let's not forget another badass moment semi-repeated in Covenant where an alien jumps on to uh, the APC as it's driving away, which we also see in Terminator yeah.
1: movies as well. Getting run over. Ripley really
0: knows how to respond. <laughs> she just like rams right over its head. Bad
1: ass. I think there's my- in it, if we actually just took all of James Cameron uh, filmography tropes and turned them into like, hey, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, like something needs to get run over, but not die or, or die that we want to die. Um, that, I think that would be interesting. We'll name the uh, mineral something a little better too. So then we get like my favorite scene, which is when the dropship just comes in. Oh, yeah. They're already, they just got their asses kicked. Esprit de corps is way down and there's actually no decor anymore because <laughs> all the core is dead. And yeah, they just have the dropship crash and then they just center on Hudson's face. <laughs> it's just like this bleak, twisted into a rictus of just game What's over, right? man. It's game over. Game it's over. fucking great, <laughs> right,
0: man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. You finished? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire. And then you get Newt's line, huh? and I'm pretty Why sure like, that? the
1: film lawyer is that she got ridiculed for by all our schoolmates for this line.
0: We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night.
1: They mostly, mostly come at night, Brian. Mostly. mostly. Yeah, you got Hudson. Why don't they put, put,
0: her, put in her in charge? charge? <laughs> throughout this whole thing, so they get back inside, they get good. back
1: to their original base, and Bishop, you know, he's nonplussed. He's just basically like, he's like the robot. He's like, you know, all the humans are gonna die. No big deal. I'll be in the med lab. <laughs> the <That's laughs> red awesome. herring,
0: he's always checking in on the facehuggers. He's like dissecting them, and he's like, he says that they're magnificent. So I think the audience was supposed to be thinking, oh, he's gonna be just like Ash.
1: Yeah, turns out that it's not Bishop. It's Burke. Oh, yeah. It is Burke who's the shitheel. Uh, kind of known that all along he wants to he actually is just trying to cut ripley in conversationally uh into mm-hmm. bringing this xenomorphic contraband in in a live marine and she's like fuck you dude <laughs> She gives away her ace card to Burke, which then causes the scene where, oh, well, now it's going to be Ripley and Newt that Burke tries to impregnate. She informs Burke that she knows it was him who sent the colonists over to the ship without even giving them a clue as to what was there. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, even Burke's explanation there still stands. He's like, well, I'm not even sure that you were telling the truth. And that's like, "Uh, you know, okay, I can kind of see that. (laughs) But at the same time, we also learned something else interesting there. We learn through exposition that Bishop is studying these facehuggers. And he's like, everyone's like, well, where do these things come from? What's laying these eggs? And it's great foreshadowing because it's like, oh, I'm not sure. It must be something we haven't seen yet. It must be something we haven't seen yet. Uh, So we know something else is coming. Uh, we know that Mr. Burke gave instructions yeah. to save the eggs, not to have them destroyed, which is a contradiction to what Ripley just told Bishop. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Burke's a bad guy, like a really bad guy.
0: With Burke, we get one of the early examples, which we, which actually, maybe it was born here and then continues even today, but the 80s antagonist motivation of, we got to sell these for bioweapons. That kind of came up again and again in any kind of creature feature or monster movie, pretty much ever since aliens maybe it was before aliens but I think this really established that and it really stuck hold I think that's that comes up every time we that's always an antagonist kind of uh motivation in a monster movie I mean
1: life imitates art I mean to this day you still have issues with that you have the company that you know basically put out oxycontin and they knew <laughs> that it was being abused but they were still producing it because they're basically just they were like we're selling drugs legally that dog hunts I guess is but sure. I mean, we also learned that things go from bad to worse as usual things that looked so promising while they were loading all the weaponry in the hangar onto the dropship now things go from bad to worse so the dropship's missing they're down half their people but then we also learned that the reactor is in an emergency venting cycle the whole thing's going to go melt down in four hours so this sets the timer they need to get the hell out of there they can't stay Somebody's regardless so they have to here. get the new dropship there's Take some spirited a debate with
0: go out there and patch in manual oh yeah sure with those things running around you can count me out yeah i guess we I'll can go. just count you out of everything I'll that's go. right man Hey, do not you go, man? Go. Bishop
1: is in the background what? saying, "Yo, I'll go. Yo, oh. I'll go. I'm just the, I'm just the android. i mean, am not Qualified go. to remote pilot the ship.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, man. Bishop should go. Good idea. They get to
1: the tunnel, the tunnel scene. And I want to talk about this specifically for just for one reason, because you know, as I indicated... Tunnel? It's like a little pipe. Yes. As I indicated before, uh, this movie has given me nightmares uh, that still exist to this day. And I'm, I'm you know, obviously <laughs> old enough and smart enough to realize that none of this shit's actually real, but doesn't say it still doesn't manifest in my dreams. So I'm pretty much claustrophobic of pipes now too, because because of that scene. So this movie has just given me a lot of neuroses <laughs> and if James Cameron ever were to listen to this, I just want to thank him for the many psychological troubles that it's given me. But as a young Joe. I lived in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, and they were converting a lot of farmland into suburban developments. And behind my friend's house, so we would have these plastic guns and we would tape them together to make these hybrid weapons, like the Marines used pulse rifles in Alien. And the pulse rifles in Alien are actually a modified Thompson M1A1, the Remington 870 shotgun underneath. So we would tape these guns together and we would bring candles and we would go through the sewer pipes of these developments and we would tape candles <laughs> to the walls of the sewer pipes you know, as we crawled through it was new developments and the sewer pipes were freshly installed. So there wasn't like there was anything in there and there wasn't even sewer grates on top of them. So we were able to basically free reign of <laughs> the sewer pipes to crawl through. And that was like our thing for a while. We crawled through pipes. You know, I remember one time I was with three friends and we found this like this much older pipe and we, we crawled through it. And as we're going into it, we just heard something coming towards us like from the darkness. And we were well into this and there wasn't enough room. And the one guy in his panic behind us went to stand up and basically flattened himself onto the ground after hitting the ceiling of this thing because uh, it was only like the size of our bodies at the time. <laughs> I just remember we all scrambled over him and then we're like dragging him behind us uh, out of this pipe as what turned out to probably be just like a raccoon or a possum or something uh, scared us out of this pipe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think I grew up in the hinterlands. Your upbringing sounds perfectly Dickensian. <laughs> Candles? Did you, Was your bodice ripped at one point? Or I don't know. My little Brian story about this is even more horrific though because uh, it was R-rated and I at that 87 I was just a 12-year-old little little nerdy. I was really excited to to see aliens, but I couldn't. I thought it was too scary, because it's irating. So I think my parents went to go see that. Well, I had to go see it. the gods. would be crazy. One day, something fell from the sky. Now, what the hell? Ah, I mean, that movie was awesome. <laughs> no, it was not for a 12-year-old. I was like, I could not get any of that. I was like, I can't believe I'm sitting here watching this.
1: Oh, uh, that was hilarious. But, uh, we used to rent that from West Coast Video.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyways, young Brian, young Joe. Newt is getting ready to take a nappy nap in the uh, med lab. And Ripley's being on maternal and wishing her to sleep. She does a cute little thing.
1: Uh, yeah, she puts the heater on her.
0: I think Newt does a cute little uh, I got your nose thing and then uh, when and they get ready for cryos. later to her. doesn't back to her. So another cute little grace now. And if you don't have bingo by now,
1: there's actually a very romantic moment between the new f- newly formed family oh, of Hicks. Hicks, where Hicks gives mm. Ripley Here. the motion tracker bracelet. On.
0: What's it for? It's a locator. Then I can find you anywhere in the complex. On this, it's just
1: a precaution. And then very lovingly informs Ripley that
0: Hicks, I'm not going to end up like those
1: others. You'll take care of. Uh, Well, after Ripley asks Hicks, you'll kill me, right? Yes, yes, baby. I'll kill you. Here comes that. I'll do his boat. Oh, so sweet. Th- then Ripley goes and gives the bracelet to Newt right afterwards, which is pretty funny. Newt, uh,
0: Hicks says, it's not like we're engaged or anything. For the purpose of the movie, they just established their relationship with that, so that's
1: pretty sweet. They did, and then in all things being set up and payoff, it immediately pays off because then you get the facehugger scene, which is terrifying, but just something amazingly epic happens here. And if any of our listening audience goes back and watches this movie right now, just pay attention to this action sequence where Hudson shoots the glass and then Hicks does a full body dive. An incredible <laughs> Uh, action sequence. And once again, all this is, is brought to you in courtesy of Burke, who uh, then. You know, basically gets questioned and is going to be placed into, he knows he's going back to prison. Uh, And right when that's happening, what happens, Brian? What happens next? Things go from bad to worse. Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. Hold up. I mean, that's a great action sequence, but I think Cameron does a great job of stacking the odds, of Burke stacking the odds against Ripley and noob because first he locks them in this soundproof room. Mm -hmm. Can't hear anything out of it. It's unbreakable glass. And he leaves Ripley's rifle outside of the room. And then there's a baby can There's a baby cam, so that was the one last hope they have, and we see him turn it off. Total
1: dick move. <laughs>
0: yeah. Every, at
1: every opportunity for the aspiring screenwriters out there, pay careful attention to this movie because it very the characters that play off of Ripley do not change. And that's kind of <laughs> like the point. And that's also the point of a character actor. They're basically a vehicle that our main character can play off of. And so just pay attention to that. You can't have 10 fully developed characters playing around. You just have to have 10 archetypes. But then what happens when they're basically going to, you know, imprison Burke or kill him?
0: Here's the setup and payoff I talked about before where we established that Ripley is a smoker and we never See her smoke at all, but in this scene in Med Lab, that finally she is able to finally get help by having a lighter and setting off the fire alarm. So there we go, and oh, that's then they right. escape.
1: Set up and call back. Yep. <laughs> but then we get to you know they're gonna grease Burke.
0: I say we grease this rat fuck son of a bitch right
1: now. Yeah, what happens? What happens,
0: Brian? Uh isn't there like an attack? Like they started getting aliens coming from out of all over the place, which is a sweet little setup because the
1: movie switches back to suspense mode. The aliens cut yeah. the power. The power's off. Oh yeah. How do they you know how to do that? Then you have Vasquez and Hudson out in the hallways.
0: They're inside, inside the perimeter. They're in here
1: with their motion detector Uh, and to this day that noise when it switches from the heartbeat to the signal acquisition Mm -hmm. ping gets my heart racing scary to this day yeah
0: and the dramatic part of it is that they see them coming but they don't see them coming and this is where by the film's promise uh we actually do get aliens and a lot of them it's really one of the only few scenes where we really see in the whole series, in the whole alien series, where we actually see a ton of aliens kind of in full battle mode against uh, the Marines. and
1: You have a series of the best deaths. You know, you have Hudson has the best death in the movie. I think Hicks pokes his head up in the ceiling, falls down, firing blindly into it. At this point, you have Gorman, who is still out of commission. And you have Burke, who's run off and locked the door. Basically, they're trapped. So Hudson mm-hmm. dies. Gorman, who opens the door, suddenly is like, oh, what's going on type of thing. And then you have the tunnel sequence. And we <laughs> see Vasquez and Gorman get it. You always were an asshole, Gorman. And then we see Burke get it. We're down to four.
0: Yeah. In a poetic way, though, uh, Gorman and Vasquez. Gorman, this was his redemption. And Vasquez's hero death and Gorman's redemptive death all in one.
1: Yeah, it was trench camaraderie. And I think it's something that we've yeah. seen in many, many war movies. You have a scene like that where, where two people, whom were nemesis, actually band together at the end to align against their real nemesis. And yes, that was a great redemptive arc. Then you have Newt doing something stupid. I'm going to fall <laughs> down this hole and fuck up everything because uh, she's the only person left to fuck up everything. The other characters have been established as people who can't mess up. So you got Hicks, you got Bishop, you got Ripley, and you got Newt left. And Bishop's busy. He's off calling in the dropship. I have
0: to correct you there uh, for a second. I actually noticed this time it's not necessarily a stupid uh, thing for Nuke, it's a cause and effect situation. The blowing up of Gorman and Vasquez is actually what triggers Nuke to get blasted back and then fall down into the vent. That moment right there is really what kicks off Act 3.
1: In my opinion, she had a handhold and she should have been able to hold it. You're right. (laughs) That is the beginning of Act 3. The music changes during the fight sequence from the suspenseful uh, we're under an attack by aliens over to this is now an escape chase uh, sequence the soundtrack moves over to a march that's pretty cool how that sound changes and it sweeps you up in it so you're caught up in the moment of this great chase escape sequence where they need to make their yeah. way out we're left with four two of whom are now missing so it's just Hicks and Ripley and Hicks is injured
0: yeah Act 3 is really all about Ripley trying to get the new to safety and the odds are super psyched against her because they're on a planet that's going to be blowing up recently we're introduced to the big, bad, main antagonist yeah. of the whole it was movie. Yeah, it's all set up, and uh, Ripley's gearing up for the big battle moment and everything. That's really kicking off uh, Actory. So, uh, New, actually, it starts off with uh, her getting taken away, and I think it's a, a sweet little Jaws moment almost because it's got, like, underwater alien and uh, a girl, you know, a young girl kind of in peril. And then we get to the point where we find out that she's with the Queen, and, which is in big trouble. She has only so much time until she gets possibly impregnated and Bishop tells them they only have 19 minutes till the whole uh, planet is a cloud vapor the size of Nebraska. Timing, everything is leading up to Ripley making sure she finds Newt. She has a locator. At some point, she is able to use the locator and but we hear a Newt scream and that screaming is how Ripley finds her. Big reveal, the alien queen, and we find out that she's laying these eggs this whole time. It's a sweet little matriarchal moment with Ripley and the alien facing off and we kind of do like unspoken agreements. He's going to take this girl away. And you're just gonna be cool about it, and the Iron's like, no way, and then Sabre like, well, this is what you get. Just torches all yeah, this. So
1: they kind of negotiate <laughs> the, the terms. The terms are broken. Yep. So Ripley lays waste to the alien queen's egg field, causing the alien queen to detach herself from her, her nesting and pursue Ripley in a state of revenge. And then you get to the, f- the final payoff. It's
0: the ovipositor that drops the egg. Torching of the eggs. then the queen is after her. Queen figures out how to use the elevator. I'm not sure how that happens.
1: Hey, you don't get to be the queen by, by <laughs> being a dummy.
0: <laughs> First, another red herring. We think that Bishop may have totally abandoned them on the planet. And the queen is coming up to the deck where Ripley and Newt are. And then... Bishop! God damn you! Sure enough, bishop's there, and off they go, and everything's safe, right? Right, Joe. Everything, everyone's good, and back on the uh, back on the ship, and everyone's safe, and no queen anywhere, right? It's
1: done. It's over. And just like in Terminator, when the team <laughs> Wheeler uh, drives over the Terminator, and then explodes. I mean, obviously the Terminator's dead. So there's some great things. Thankfully, the movie's <laughs> over at that moment, and nobody nobody should uh, go <laughs> see it. Actually, that's not that's not right. It's yeah,
0: like, Cameron has a lot of <laughs> fake endings. I like how he does a fake ending where you think it's over but it's not over, you think it's over but it's not over. The queen has stowed away on the escape ship, she emerges, Bishop gets a, a kind of a cool death cuz at first he's thinking maybe he has a chest burster, but no, it's actually the spike tail of the queen ripping through his chest and then she picks him up and tosses one way, one half the other way and and then I think the coolest moment of the whole movie cuz right now it's just Ripley and Newt, Ripley tells Newt just to go find him how Place uh, a little hidey hole of some sort. Well, I figure something out. She draws the attention away of a, uh, the queen. She's gone for half a second, and when she appears next, what's that uh, famous line? She comes out with a loader, and what did she say? We'll
1: put the clip <laughs> get away from her, you bitch. <laughs>
0: Ripley gets rid of the queen by having a little battle with her with the loader and a couple of close calls, but then we get the escape hatch, which is very similar to the ending of Alien, but it's not so easy. As Ripley throws the queen down with a loader, the queen isn't going out like that, so she grabs Ripley uh, Ripley's loader. It goes down with her so Ripley's able to get out and rise out of the actual loader and climb out as the escape hatch is opening, thanks to Bishop. Off the alien queen goes out into space, which is probably an ignominious death. Poor alien queen what do you normally
1: say she is she was beset by something constellations
0: oh yeah beset by malicious constellations (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure that's what she was thinking as she was floating away into the Milky Way. She's like, ah, oh, I've been beset by malicious consolation. So yeah, that's the end. We get the little cryo uh, cryo crib uh, situation with Ripley and Newt and everything peaceful until Alien 3.
1: Yes. <laughs> you know, Wonderful, excellent movie from beginning to end. Getting back to Cameron Tropes, I think Entertainment Weekly described this as the greatest action movie ever made. The point we've been making all along is it's not, not a pure action movie. It's based basically a suspense film, and I think a lot of modern action films just get this wrong. You look at some of the mindless action films that we have, that's just like straight up action beginning to end. In a sense, it's almost like pornography. They treat anything that's non-action oriented dismissively, and I think that's to the detriment of the filmmaking process. That's partially one of the reasons why we don't have many modern action movies that are considered greatest action movies of all time, because they all just kind of blur together in their over their top So I think a lot of modern filmmakers should go back and revisit movies like this. This and just make the t- connection of what truly makes an excellent action movie an excellent action movie, and it's it's the exposition, it's the world building, it's the suspense, it's every other component in there. It's just peppered with enough action uh, to keep you interested. I would say that there's only probably like five action sequences in Aliens to begin with, beginning to end. Again, we, we we mentioned that this season and the series is on the greatest action movies, and that so that you should go see them all if you haven't. To me, this is one of the top top of the ones that we are doing this season.
0: Final thoughts? Yeah, I think people. Ra- on Cameron for getting the Oscar for best screenwriter for Titanic. I think it shows that he actually is a fantastic screenwriter, not only because Aliens kind of proves it, because not only does he have excellent action sequences, but dialogue and character moments are actually spot on throughout the whole movie. He's meticulous and he shows it.
1: Yep. Okay. So thank you for joining us today. Uh one last final thought. The word fuck is used 25 times in the movie. 18 of them were spoken by Hudson.
0: <laughs> oh, you want the oh, fuck! Yeah! Uh, How many times in this podcast can
1: you say it (laughs) after? That little uh, editor's note can be dubbed in afterwards.
0: Uh, I'm saying uh, game over, man. Thanks for joining us, and we'll fix it in post.
1: That's right. We'll fix it in post. All right. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you guys later. Want to learn more? Navigate over to www.filmpodcast.us or follow us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram
0: or follow us in a primord unmarked van.
1: Just follow us, goddammit.
0: Hey, Joe, might you be able to recommend any graphic novels?
1: Funny you should ask. The Robot War, a limited series, sci-fi action comedy, graphic novel written by yours truly. Santa Barbara is under siege by a robot army in a devastating attack. A ragtag group of video game designers, led by a cocky wise ass, battle across town to rescue his girlfriend and a school full of trapped children. You can get The Robot War on Amazon or through Comixology. That's The Robot War by Joe Friend. Hey, Brian. I heard you made a Zom rom com. What's this movie called? Uh, my short film, Annulment, which is available
0: for purchase as a DVD at stumpfarm.com. S T U M P F F A R M.com.